Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. It's uh, me and Mike Scandato this week. How's it going, Mike? What's up, everybody? Uh, I'm digging this uh, role that we've got going. Uh, Mike and I getting back in the, in the groove, discussing all these great movies for you people. It is good to be here. We're uh, in May. I can't believe it, Mike. May 2021. I can't believe I survived to make it into May 2021, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right? Yeah. But it's a good feeling. You know, I uh, I get my second vaccine this Thursday, uh, which will be May 6th, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, uh, if on Friday I'm not feeling that good, I'll, I'll get through that too. I don't give a shit. I want it to be done yeah. and move on, right? Hell yeah. My second one is next Thursday, so I'm right behind you, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I uh, something uh, good to report is that between the last time uh, we we spoke and now, I actually played a, a live show, and uh, it was it was it was awesome. Um, I, I touched on it a little bit last time, but yeah, the last stand we got to play with Madball and Death Before Dishonor at this new spot in Brooklyn. Uh, arrogant swine which is a, a barbecue spot and uh it, it just felt really good i mean there's a lot of pictures and video footage out there of the show and you know um unfortunately also since last we spoke uh the the Tompkins square park show that was scheduled uh for may 8th with uh my band and antidote and kings never die is unfortunately not happening um not completely surprised about that due to the <laughs> extreme fallout, quote unquote, from the uh, big show uh, with Madball and Murphy's Law um, the other week. But I mean, I guess, you know, sometimes, as the song says, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. You know, Mike? <laughs> yeah, the fallout of the Tompkins Square Park massacre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The best way to put it. I mean, you know, uh, it, it is it is weird. Right before we started rolling, I said to Mike, sure enough, the, the day after that show, they announced a bunch of new, uh, you know, regulations and rules about outside masks. And then sure enough, uh, as the days went on in New York, they've announced July 1st, everything's going to be opened up. And then in t today's news in New York, they said, uh, today's May 3rd as we're taping this, that we have the lowest infection and sickness numbers since October 2020. So it's just, I don't know, all this complaining and grandstanding and, you know, ruining of people's livelihoods and fun sometimes is done in vain. Wouldn't you agree, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's a sensitive thing, but uh, I'm of the opinion that um, at this stage of the game, since, you know, all the numbers are low, it's, it's kind of like a choice. You know, if you want to go, yeah. go. If you want to stay home, stay home. I salute. Like I want everyone to be fucking happy and feel safe and not be outside of their comfort zones when it comes to this right. kind of thing, you know? And, and, um, but I also, uh, would not, I think it's like equally as annoying when people try to like put their own will and their own agendas forward. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I understand everyone's frustration, but it's like, you know, I don't know. It's uh, at some at some point we're all going to have to 
emerge from yes. this, you know? It is touchy, and I do respect people's boundaries about it and people's decisions about it. One of my friends, you know, was telling me in private that he just wasn't ready to go to that show, and he really wanted to be there, but he felt it was a little too soon, and he just personally didn't feel like it was a good idea to go. And I said, you know what? I get it. I respect it. I love you, and I will see you soon. You know what I'm saying? And I just, I wish that the opposite end would get that kind of nod, you know, instead of the, you're killing everybody vibe that's <laughs> thrown back at people who wish to go to a concert. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I don't know. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's kind of also uh, very, you know, aggressive to say that if you, you know, you went, if, oh, if you went to the show, you're an anti-vaxxer or something like that. It's like very extreme, you know what I mean? And that's, um, I think there's been enough extremity over the last four years where maybe mm -hmm. we should start, uh, you know, cooperating, I think, you know. Totally, totally. It's just, I mean, much to the dismay of some people, this is going to come to an end. And Things will get back to some normalcy. Things will change. Yes, things will definitely change. But the whole pandemic world that you're living in is 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 not forever, um, you know? And a lot of people have really been looking forward to going outside again and seeing an outside concert and seeing their friends. And th these are good things, people. That's all I'm just saying. I think these are good things. Do you think there is a contingency of people out there that want this to go on forever, that want to just stay home and <laughs> never um, see anybody? If you looked at this magical or not so magical invention called Twitter, my answer is yes. I think there are people out there who feel that way. There are just these very miserable people on, on Twitter in particular that ha have seemed to have just revel in the negativity and just the, I don't know, it's just uh, some really shitty people out there. Most people know but I, I, I have to say, just based on this past week as a member of the New York hardcore community, I'm, I feel like, yes, I, there's just been so much hate and venom thrown at New York City this week by by people who have been, I'm going to to use a phrase by Napalm Death, mentally murdered in the past year by the, their pandemic conditions. And they're forgetting that there's a clock on this thing at this point. That that's just my two cents, my opinion. You know, I think I mentioned this last time, but uh, you know, there there was also a big uh, MMA event down in in Jacksonville, Florida, that the UFC yeah. put on, and there was fifteen thousand people inside. Inside, yeah. yeah. And, and I was scanning the crowd when um, you know, just I, obviously I was watching this on television, but the uh, you know, very few masks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, there was the uh, Kentucky Derby this weekend outdoors, of course, uh, 38,000 people went to that. <laughs> and there's footage of that and pictures of that. And some people have masks and quite a few people do not. Um, you know, nobody was calling the cops in the Kentucky Derby or on the UFC thing or on the NFL draft. But they called the cops and the news outlets on a hardcore show. So it's just, it, it, it's, it's just where we're at. I think now with society and it's, you know, well, just, it, just for the record, I would not go to an indoor MMA no. event like that for sure. I wouldn't either to an indoor event. Yeah. No, I don't think I'm ready for that personally, but 
outdoor is quite different in my opinion i see i see a difference personally sure um but aside from that um just wanted to say last night i was a guest on the break the apocalypse uh podcast with my brother john draper it was his 50th birthday celebration and uh they gave us some some lovely accolades mike they said let's say what's up to you so i uh, wanted to give them a, a little shout out John is uh, going to be the big five zero this week. I really look forward to the day where I can see John again in person. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. They asked a little about you know the history of the podcast, and I talked about you know how you and I met and how we we you know the initial bonding was from the the Serbian film viewing in, in Bay Ridge, and you kicking off your personal podcast then, and then it turned into the idea of. Let's just do a separate one for horror movies. And that's, you know, kind of got to tell them that whole story. But uh, another quick plug, uh, my brother Kevin um, has a brand new podcast called The Castle and Chicky Podcast Adventures. The first episode uh, went up uh, the other day and uh, it's, you know, got a whole shit ton of downloads because Kevin uh, spent a bunch of years um on the Don Tony and Kevin Castle podcast, which is a big wrestling podcast. Uh, I'm not a big wrestling guy, uh, but you know, my family members are, and I just wanted to give those podcasts a shout out. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we, uh, with, with the new uh, version of a Serbian film out, you know, the mm -hmm. Blu-ray. Yeah. We, I, we need to revisit that. I think, yeah. it's like a, a, you know, a sort of, uh, you know, like to celebrate because that—that's <laughs> you know, ne neither one of us were really. We never did podcasts before. You know, we that no. we were sitting in a fucking diner. There's like a guy like you know asking us what we wanted to eat on that episode, and like, yeah, I mean, it's no, we definitely will, and it could. Um, it turns out, listeners, we actually missed the 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 target date of our seven year anniversary, which was back in the the second week of February, but. What we can do, we could still do kind of like a, a little latecomer seventh anniversary episode where Mike and I discuss Serbian film. So that's that's our little promise to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be great, man. I, I just got the Blu-ray. Uh, well, I got it a couple of weeks ago. It showed up in the mail. Mm -hmm. And cool. um, and I, I'm going to definitely rewatch it uh, probably fairly soon. Controversial film, folks. Be warned. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. I'm surprised. <laughs> We'll probably get canceled from talking about that. Movie. We may get canceled for covering it because if the oh man, people people talking about it in certain groups on Facebook have been have been piled on. Let's just say, um, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't phase us here at Necromaniacs. We're all about you know pushing the uh, the video envelope, so to speak. I, I I could give a fuck less man about anything really. I just like I mean I just think I just remember like people like adam parfrey and yeah you know what i mean like back in the 90s like when i really started embracing this kind of like outsider shit no one gave a fuck mm -hmm. what people thought you just did your oh, thing no. man you know like adam parfrey and mike diana and and jim goad with answer me it's yeah. i grew up with that stuff too and you know serial killer comics and like the, I, the, you know, the, the Jeffrey Dahmer comic and all that stuff was like, that was like my world at one point, you know? Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> you know, and like, oh yeah, Mike Diana, man. There's a, a really cool documentary with about him on uh, on Prime. 
Yes, uh, Boiled Angel uh, fanzine, for those who may not know. Mike Diana was a guy who who did a zine, you know, and like independent comic zine kind of thing. And it was very, you know, horror, extreme kind of based. And he ended up going to prison for it, for obscenity. So, I mean, not many people get to go to prison for fanzines and comics, Mike. Would you agree? Right. And ironically... This, this is the biggest irony of all out of all this controversial stuff that's going on. Back then, it was the conservatives, Christian types that were after him. Right. Mm-hmm. That's going down, yeah. And, and, you know, the more liberal people were the ones who were coming to his aid, you know. Correct. Freedom of speech. Now, mm-hmm. everything is inverted. The yes, it has. Left, <laughs> it left-leaning has. liberals are attacking people for mm-hmm. offensive things, you know, being controversial and all that sort of stuff. And I just... I just really want all these people to like do a little history lesson and, you know, go back to Lenny Bruce, another guy who's gone to jail for freedom of speech too, you know, and and even Howard Stern, man, it's like, that's not even that far, that long ago, you know, battling the government, you know, and the FCC or, you know, whatever, whatever the fuck that's called, you know, federal broadcasting uh, agency or whatever it is. Right. Federal communications committee. I mean, Yeah. yeah, look, it is weird how the pendulum has swung and it is weird how like uh, that flip flop, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you would have told me years ago, this would have happened. I would have not have believed you. I'll say that, um, at all. Um, but it's best to stay grounded. It's best to stay neutral. It's best to fucking use your head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, And I think we here at necromaniacs do a good job at, at, at that, you know? Um, looking at different sides of things, but ultimately landing on, on reason and common sense. I don't know. That's what I like to think we do. And also, I just don't want anyone to take what I just said out of context and, uh, you know, like frame me as some kind of right wing, you know, conservative guy. I I just, I am definitely a left leaning sort of dude, but I also, you know, believe in rationality too, you know? Yeah. And you're not for, censorship and you're not Hell, for, no yeah i mean it's you know i've seen people use the term classic liberal and i would say you probably fall under that you know yeah. banner you know Definitely. more than, you know what i'm saying um and it's just i don't know i think when it comes to things like music and movies and 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 condemning people for having certain tastes and things like that i don't know I, i've never been about that at all i've always been you know for for people's freedoms and people's choice to to watch what they want and read what they want and yeah i mean there's look there's some disgusting shit out there don't get me wrong but just because i don't want to watch it doesn't mean you're not allowed to watch it (laughs) yeah and and i like that there's stuff that i don't like out there you know what i mean it's like like even you know every any even things i don't agree with i i (laughs) it comforts me to know that there's stuff out there that I don't agree with, that people have mm-hmm. different opinions and that people have a whole spectrum of ideas. Like if everyone thought the same, then what kind of fucking world do we live in? You know? Exactly. Like, um, I'm not a huge fan of the toe tag stuff, but man, they have a rabid fan base and you know, all those DVDs that those guys put out all the world, a ton of dough. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So somebody likes that stuff. Uh, you know, I watched a, a, nearly all of it, 
and decided this isn't my cup of horror tea. But damn me if I'm ever going to prevent you from watching it or telling you to check it out, you know? Sadly, I'm going to have to agree with you. Like, I, I want to like all that stuff. Like, I really like... <laughs> I went. In, I went into that whole thing, being like, "Man, this is. I, I want to really get behind this stuff. It's so fucking extreme, and you know, mm -hmm. I, I just not my thing, man. You know, I I, yeah. I I appreciate it, but it's it's just definitely not my cup of tea, you know. Exactly. But um, before we dive into tonight's film, was there anything that you, you read or checked out that you want to throw out there for the for the friends and fans at home? Yes, actually, I uh, you know it's. The Joe Bob uh, Last Driving Show is back, and um, cool. this past Friday I watched Bride of the Reanimator, a movie that I'm I have never movie. seen. I've never I seen it, mm. and I, I all this time I've just I've just dismissed it without checking it out. And um, I watched it obviously with the Joe Bob uh, and Jeffrey Coombs commentary on it. Awesome. I gotta say, it was a lot better than I thought it would be. I actually really enjoyed it, and. Um, in some ways, it's almost like if you took a Frankenstein storyline and crossed it with uh, that that other film that Brian Yuzna did from the late '80s, uh, Soci um, Society. Society. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, um, Screaming Mad George was involved. They had actually there was like a whole fucking laundry list of people involved in the special effects. Mm. But Screaming Mad George, who also did Society, he uh, was involved in, in creating some of the, the failed, you know, experiments and stuff like that. So it had like a I, I kind of reframed it and I actually quite enjoyed it. I, thought, I mean, it's no reanimator, you know, right, Stuart right. Gordon, That's but, but it, was, it was very enjoyable. Definitely. I love the original reanimator. I've seen Bride of Reanimator. I've definitely seen it once. Uh, I'm probably due for reviewing. So maybe I will check it out again. Um, you know, those are fun movies, man. I mean, you know, time and place kind of movies, you know. Um, as for me, I haven't, didn't get the chance to watch too much as of late. I I've just been like bogged down with band stuff in the last week, which is so great to hear, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to band and music stuff. Totally. Um, uh, today, as a matter of fact, uh, Stan is on this new compilation called Back to the Roots, uh, New York Hardcore compilation on uh, the Pitchfork label. Uh, the pre-order for that went up today, and uh, Generation Records had their own exclusive color, which sold out today, which I'm happy to say, uh, purple vinyl. And there's like a splatter vinyl from Pitchfork. And then the, uh, the German hardcore label, Cortex, has their own uh, gold variant. And uh, so that was cool. But I, I picked up some some new newish well not really new music but just new vinyl acquisitions uh you down with earth faust mike oh hell yeah dude yeah i've seen him play yeah. a few times too I, I i really like them i i picked up uh the reissue of their earlier ep geist who's trifle and uh the compilation lp ritual music for the true clochard which is like a bunch of their earliest stuff collected um and then I got something I'd always had on CD for the longest time, but it got scratched up to shit while I was a DJ for many years, as you know. Um, it's the Sisters of Mercy Greatest Hits Slight Case of Overbombing on double vinyl. Wow. Um, yeah, this had been, it was put on vinyl as like European 
you know, import only when it came out in like 93. And then it, it was on, wasn't on vinyl for like two decades almost. And uh, yeah, I got this really nice uh, 2018 pressing of that, which I'm, I'm very happy to have in the collection. It contains the last newly recorded song they ever did. Uh, that song uh, "Under the Gun," yeah, uh, like the uh, yeah, where it's it's the one where he where he sings it with that girl from uh, that band. Uh, oh man, that from from what's that long "Take My Breath Away"? You know what I'm talking about? I do, but I can't remember the name of the yeah. band though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's like the last song they ever officially recorded. So I always thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then I picked up this cool uh, Friday the Thirteenth part one soundtrack vinyl uh it's a german bootleg of the score and it comes with like a slip mat, a slip mat like a friday the 13th slip mat it's on this label called gutter gore productions so it's the whole uh, harry manfredini soundtrack but it also has uh audio cues from the movie on the vinyl as well which oh, is kind of cool. cool yeah like you know people talking and stuff and so yeah kind of excited to have that in the collection well, for me, musically, I, uh, along with a lot of other people, have been really, really digging deep into Violence Unimagined by Kind of uh, yeah. Corpse. Uh, banger. Banger, So Rick. fucking good, man. Uh, really, mm. really good. And uh, and also, uh, the most recent, um, well, it's brand new, actually, uh, I Hate God uh, record, which is uh, fucking awesome. It's called A History of Nomadic Behavior. Yeah, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's funny. Like that band, they have their definite sound, their definite style, and all that. And they always amaze me that with each record, there's some new quirk that gets introduced. Hmm. And on this one, it's uh, it's a record with just one guitar player, Jimmy Bauer, is uh, oh, the only okay. guitarist on the on the record. But sure. it's almost like if you combine Black Flag. Flipper, Black Sabbath, and like Leonard Skinner, <laughs> and like wow, it's a it's a more punk sounding record than their other their other albums, and um and yeah, there's like I like I was saying, there's like this real Black Flag like punk kind of vibe on the album, and it's once again, man, it 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 blew it blew my mind that they were able to to dredge up something new, you know, it's that's pretty pretty goddamn amazing considering how long that band's been around. It is nice to hear when a, a, an older band can add a, a new dimension and it doesn't take away from it or, you know, it, it just adds it in a, adds to it in a positive way. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. And, um, and actually I think you read this, but I, um, I read Cabal. I'm, I'm reading Cabal by uh, Clive Barton. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've never read it. Never yes. read it. And, uh, just started reading it. It's really really pretty awesome i read it uh either junior or senior year in high school yeah it's a great book um definitely fleshes out things quite a bit uh from the movie you know uh which you'll you'll enjoy i yeah. think there, there's more meat to it so to speak <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah man claude barker i i'd kind of love to just do a whole reread of a lot of his books man you know Cause I, I don't know. I always feel like he, he gets, he gets lost in the shuffle. I think that not only on the film front, but I feel like he's slowly starting to get forgotten on the book front and that should not happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, 
Yeah, you're probably right about that, actually. And uh, yeah. for, for those guys out there, uh, Cabal is the book that Nightbreed was based on, just in case yep. anyone was wondering what the fuck we're talking about, you know. Exactly, right. Um, which brings us to tonight's film, which we're both really excited to talk about. Oh, and it was yeah. kind, of, kind of inevitable, I would say, that we were going to talk about this film. And of course, I am referring to Rob Zombie's 2013 oddity. I'm going to call it an oddity. The Lords of Salem. <laughs> I have to say uh, that I'm surprised that we actually didn't talk about this because you and I both went to see this movie in the theater. Yes, we did. Um, I'm having a little trouble remembering which theater we saw it in. Can you recall? Um, I think it was uh, the East Village, um, the one on 12th Street that was near. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, that yeah, yeah. there on the corner, 12th Street. Right. Oh, that's a cool spot. Yes, I've seen a couple movies there. I think I saw, oh, wow. That might have been actually where I saw the Campbell Holocaust uh, revival in 2003. Oh, boy, 2003, 2004. That was quite a night. Um, <laughs> I talk out of a Holocaust. I, I, I couldn't remember if I had seen it on VHS and there was all type about it. And uh, me and my, my girlfriend at the time, we were like really looking forward to it. And man, did that movie mess her up. And I think she was like, she was kind of mad at me for putting her through that in the theater, you know? <laughs> it, that, that movie is definitely not for everybody, man, for sure. <laughs> It was fun to see in the theater though, because people were like, I mean, it had like a like a like a lively crowd vibe because people were just like, oh my god, in a lot, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh one day we should probably do Cat of Holocaust if we're if you know if, if you're ever ready to watch it again. No, um, I, I have the Blu-ray of that. I I think um I think you we've talked about doing that in the past. Yeah. Uh I have the deluxe DVD which has the option to watch it without the real animal killing. Did you, did you know that? Yeah, that's on the Blu-ray too. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I could, I, I dig that, you know, I, I could do without watching the fucking animal murders on there and shit. You know what I mean? Like when they kill that little fucking muskrat and everything. that, that I find more brutal, like the first animal killing in that movie. Yeah. They just, the sea turtle so, thing. The sea turtle thing is just horrific, but it is it's like, I, yeah. uh, I never need to see that again. So yeah, you know what? That, that, that we could put that on the docket. Yeah. But tonight we're doing Lords of Salem, and man, there's just so much that Mike and I kind of wanted to say about this movie uh, upon a second viewing. But right out of the gate, I I'm going to make a bold statement and say, me personally, this is the second greatest movie Rob Zombie's ever done. To me, his greatest opus is the devil's rejects this is number two yes it is better than half the thousand corpses and it is better than halloween one and two this is my this is my number two rob zombie movie i, I really love this movie this is my favorite rob zombie movie and and you know any for anyone who's been listening to the to this show uh <laughs> i i'm like a very very late in the game appreciator of his work i mean there's earlier mm -hmm. episodes in this where i slam like you know the movies straight up yeah and, you uh, do. and i've grown to appreciate rob robert robert zombie <laughs> yes and, uh, and like i i really and, but this movie if you remember 
coming out of this movie in the theater, mm-hmm. I actually was 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 like, uh, you know, I, I was given an accolade. So like, I thought it was actually good. good. I enjoyed it. And Very good. I still, I like it even more on the second viewing. Um, I remember when we both walked out of it and we were like, wow, like, here's the thing, everybody. Here's the reason why I think this movie gets some shit, okay? And maybe even gets some shit from Rob Zombie people. Because it, it comes on the heels of the success of his, you know, his trashy grindhouse, Sea House of Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects. And it comes post the ups and downs of his Halloween 1 and 2. Halloween 2 was considered a failure. It was it was got uh, almost unanimously panned. A lot of people really didn't like it. Okay, and then the next thing he puts out is this. This was grossly misunderstood, and a lot of people did not like it, and it did not do very well at all. It did worse than Halloween Two in the theater. You add all that up, and that's a big. It's a fucking dark cloud of this movie, Mike. Right? Yes, because uh, I know that. Um... Yeah, you, you, everything you said is true for a fact uh, that, that his hardcore fan base didn't really appreciate this movie. No. Um, it, like the budget was $1.5 million and it basically made its money back barely. Like, I, you know, I have a funny feeling some of this is a little incorrect about its box office. But um, however, with, with a second viewing, uh, I have the Blu-ray. I got this. Nice Blu-ray with like a hologram cover. This Blu-ray DVD and ultraviolet. Ultraviolet, as we all know, has gone the way of the uh, A-track tape. But um, I got to say, man, this is his best writing. (laughs) These are, this is the best performances from his actor. This is Sherry Moon Zombie's best acting. Um, There are some great original ideas here. And I'm uh, the, the biggest takeaway is that this movie came nearly 10 years too late. And I'm going to tell you why. I think for the most part, this movie is a slow burn horror movie that has a lot of this sense of dread to it. And what has been popular in the last three to five years in modern horror? The exact description that I just laid out. Everything is a slow burn horror lately. Almost everything we're watching, I feel like, that is new that we're covering on the show is slow burn horror. And this movie also predates the the whole witch vibe that has become a bit more popular in the last few years as well. Um, And again, you you add these things up and I think Rob Zombie was ahead of his time with this movie, Mike. I mean, if he had put out all of, uh, you know, Devil's Rejects, Halloween, 31, Mm-hmm. All that stuff, you know, three from hell. Like if, right. that, if that had all come out and then he made this movie and it came out this year, mm-hmm. everyone would be singing a different tune. If you ask oh, me. yeah. Or even in the, in the last three years, like I just I don't know. I just as I was watching it, I wrote all these notes down. And one of the notes I wrote was ahead of its time. Yeah. That's something I just kept coming back to. This movie is ahead of its time. It is unfairly panned by some people. It deserves uh, another viewing. It deserves another shot. Um, it's it's like a quiet. Most of it is a quiet horror film. 
this movie has some moments of goofiness. Some, okay? But for the most part, it's his best script. Um, gone are all of the white trashisms. Gone are the nonstop usage of the F word. Um, he's not trapped in like, you know, grindhousey 70s throwback stuff anymore. Right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely uh, taking his influences from European horror films. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in a way, like, like I, I wrote some notes down, too, you know. <laughs> and I was like, it's it's a mashup of Italian horror movies and, like, The Devil's Reign, in my opinion. Yes. I, I even got vibes of, like, Gene Rowland and Jess Franco at yeah, times. Sure. Like, this dreamy... You're not like these kind of like these dreamy, weird kind of moments. Um, and, and, you know, Rob Zombie likes those two guys, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he is a fan of both of those directors. Um, some definite Suspiria vibes going on in a few scenes. Some Rosemary's Baby vibes and even some like shining Stanley Kubrick moments, too. There's it's like. Where is this Rob Zombie? What happened to this Rob Zombie? <laughs> like that—that that was something else I literally wrote down. What happened to this Rob Zombie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks amazing. You know, it's got such mm. a the the quality, the the atmosphere, and the the way it's filmed, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, actually, it's funny because I um, I, you know, I, I'm so reluctant to uh, to give props to Rob Zombie. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> But if you look at the the curve over the last several years, I'm skewing towards actually liking Rob Zombie. Right? I know, Mike. I think your days of saying I'm not a fan of Rob Zombie, I think those days might be over. You liked Halloween one and two, yep. and you like Lords of Salem, so that's three movies, man. I don't know. Dude. And it's it, yeah, know. those days are coming to an end. But one those of the things that I did though <laughs> was I looked, you know, looked at the credits. The cinematography was by uh, Brandon Trost. Mm. who did Halloween 2. Okay. okay. The editor, Glenn Garland, has been involved in almost all of his films. Halloween, mm. Halloween 2, even 31. And he did this movie. Mm-hmm. So, oftentimes, the editor is like the unsung hero of filmmaking. You know? Yes. And a, a, the film is made by the fucking editor. You know? Color correction... The pacing, you know, all that stuff is the is editing, you know, and a film can be make made or broken by the editor. So I, I'm going to give props to Rob Zombie, but I'm also going to give props to this, to Glenn Garland for his outstanding editing in this film. Wow. Yeah. I mean, again, it's. Do you think it just was is a? Do you think Thirty One and Three from Hell are so bad due to these budgetary constraints? This movie looked like he spent some coin on it, but apparently it wasn't even as much coin as like, you know, uh, Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. This movie was shot in 22 and a half days on location in Salem, Massachusetts. Not a shitload of time, but it just, I don't know. It, it has this overall vibe of a more quality film in just about every level. Uh, and apparently that, that there's a stunning church scene in this movie and that was shot in a day de- in a day like that was shot like immediately apparently like like a one-time deal 
And to hear that, that's really interesting because it is probably visually one of one of the nicest moments in the film. Uh, 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 according to a tidbit on IMDb, that was shot in, in 10 minutes. Wow. Hmm, right? Damn, that's insane, dude, because, you know, I, I mentioned it before, like there was a few years where I was like doing shit with film production and, and I, I, how fucking like tedious making films are. Mm-hmm. Like one scene, they'd shoot it from every imaginable angle and it would take you like an entire day to film like three minutes of film, you know what I mean? The fact uh-huh. that that was shot in 10 minutes is unbelievable. And and that schedule, that 20-day schedule is like a real tight schedule, man. Yeah, man. Um, also of note, this is Rob Zombie's first film shot digitally, meaning it was not shot on film. But it does look like it was shot on film. So that's kind of interesting to note. Yeah, for sure, yeah. It has a great look to it. Um, another one of my favorite scenes in this movie is uh, when Sherry Moon Zombie's character Heidi is, is taking her dog out for a walk, and they're they're sitting on the steps of that church, and behind her is like that big church, and it's just her and the dog and the church, and I'm just and I almost I I wanted to take a picture of it with my phone and use it as my Facebook backdrop photo. Because it is literally one of the nicest looking pieces of film I've seen Rob Zombie ever shoot. Like, I don't know. There's just there's something about this movie. I, I, I would love to do a, a little more of a dive. Uh, there's a lot of extras on the Blu-ray that I didn't get around to. Um, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe the, it's funny. The stars were aligned in some ways on this movie. But in other ways, they obviously were not aligned. Well, Zombie said that the concept for the film has been like kicking around for a while, like mm-hmm. the storyline. And, um, you know, he, he kind of had this in his head for a long time without actually committing it to a script. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then he wrote it down, he wrote the script, but it had to be revised due to this extremely tight schedule. So there's, it still isn't, you know, it was like an evolving process. Like it wasn't just like when we saw the, you know, the Q&A for 31, where he was talking mm-hmm. about how fast he wrote that script. Yes. <laughs> He's like, he wrote it in like an hour and one yeah, afternoon. On a napkin. He said something about a napkin or something. I was like, what did he just say? No. But um, <laughs> um, apparently there's a, a, the original screenplay had a subplot in, the, in this uh, about a movie called Frankenstein and the Witch Hunter, a kind of a hammer exploitation film. Uh, which the character of Matthias and his wife attend, thanks to free tickets from the radio station. These scenes were shot, and they included none other than Udo Kier, Camille Keaton, and Clint Howard. Uh, but they were deleted from the final cut, which kind of sucks. Imagine that. Like, they went to see a movie called Frankenstein and the Witch Hunter. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, the movie, this cut, is 101 minutes long, so I can see the editor having to, like, you know, take a cruel scalpel to, uh, to this film, you know? Um, I'll give a, I'll give a rough rundown of the movie. Um, it was of course written, produced and directed by Rob Zombie. Uh, it stars his lovely wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, uh, Bruce Davidson, Judy Geeson, uh, Patricia Quinn of the Rocky Horror fame, uh, D. Wallace of, you know, 5 million horror movies fame, 
uh, Maria Conchita Alonso, Andrew Prine, and Meg Foster. The plot focuses on a troubled female disc jockey played by uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, of course, in Salem, Massachusetts, whose life becomes entangled with a coven of ancient Satan-worshipping women. Uh, the movie actually made its career at the Toronto Film Festival, TIFF, in September uh, of 2012. Uh, a novelization of the movie was released in March of 2013, uh, which I would like to check out. And then the movie was given a limited release on April 19th, 2013, which was... Uh, I think Mike and I might have even seen the the opening night, right, Mike? Very possible. Yeah, you know, weekend. I probably. I, we. I think we saw it. Like, I don't know if was it one of those weeknight shows that we went to. Okay. Yeah. That that might have been it too. You're yeah, right. But yeah. definitely within the week of release. I don't think. I don't think it played for longer than a no. week or two. Hell to no. be completely honest, there wasn't even hardly anyone in the theater when we saw it either. If I remember correctly, <laughs> That's right. We've seen we've seen a few uh, movies like that. Mike and I with our mandates. We've had a few mandates where we've, uh, you know, there haven't been a lot of people in the theater. But um, <laughs> uh, as I said earlier, Sherry Moon Zombie, look, man, some people really shit on this woman. I do not. I like her. I like that Rob puts her in his movies. They must have a wonderful husband and wife relationship. Um, I think that's a nice thing. I'm going to just say this is her best work. This is her best work. Uh, the, the, the script is probably Rob's best script, which might have something to do with it. Uh, Rob wanted the world to see her ass twice in this movie, which was nice, I have to say. <laughs> uh, there, you know, there's some mild nudity in the movie. Um, but it's not exploitative at all or, or distasteful. It's just kind of like, you know there um ken foray of uh dawn of the dead fame does ken foray not age does he have a deal with satan because this guy <laughs> has looked the same for 40 years how is that even possible like uh ken well, foray, you know, awesome. there might yeah. be some uh you know some sinister uh pact <laughs> the, the dark one maybe you know satan that but, man ages very well I love uh, Ken Foray, man. He's, he's you can't go wrong with him in a movie, that's for sure. You know, no, not at all. And I love that that Rob uses him a lot. Uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips is in this. Uh, he plays Whitey, as I said. Ken Foray's in it. He plays Monster. Whitey and Monster are uh, a part of the DJ trio uh, that uh, is at the Salem, Massachusetts radio station, where Sherry Moon Zombie's character also works. They have like this kind of like. It's almost like a morning show at night, right? I thought that was cool because, like, stuff like that doesn't really exist, but it's an awesome idea. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. It's like this really cool, like, morning show, but it also has vibes of, like, college radio, which is, like, big, mm -hmm. big in, you know, Massachusetts is, like, home of, like, college radio stations and stuff. And, um, yeah, just cool. They play cool music, you know. What's what I found interesting was that the movie does not take place in the seventies, but they play a lot of old music. Yes, it takes place in the year it happens. It's it's a it's a modern movie, but there's um you know look Rob loves the seventies and he he interjects a little seventies isms here, but not to the degree of you know his usual, uh you know what he usually does. Right? It's yeah. a little different. No, totally, man. It's like very uh, 
it's subdued. There's subtlety. And that's, that's the same thing with, with Cherry Moon's uh, performance in here. There's subtle, subdued, you know, it's, you know, mm -hmm. she's not like uh, this harpy like she is in a lot of the other films. Right, right. She's not over the top. She's very, it's, a lot of this movie is, is pretty quiet. I'm yeah. using the word quiet. Um, it's, it, there's a lot of buildup. There's this overwhelming sense of dread in this movie, which was, I think, the, the Kubrickism uh, of it. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly the type of movies that I like, is these kind of like, you know, a lot of dialogue, a lot of buildup, you know, slow burn. There's like a sense of uh, impending doom. You know, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of a lot of like exposition and stuff like that. Like that there all that stuff was here. And they're really one of the criticisms of they made of this movie is that it's not scary. Yeah. And like, I was like, who the fuck mm. needs that if you have a good story, man? It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's no jump scares, there's no gross outs really. Uh, you know, there's no extreme violence, but it's like it's just a good solid story, you know. I'm going to disagree that it's not scary. There are some, the scene where she's feeding her dog and you pan to the right and there's that like, yes, in the corner, the apparitions of sitting there and it doesn't move. It's just sitting there. That's fucking scary. Actually, that's really scary. I thought that happens once or twice. There are a few moments like that uh, with this apparition. Uh, but there's one where it's just like stuck in the corner of her kitchen and it is real creepy looking. I thought that was looking wonderful, actually. Yeah, I guess um, creepy is more hmm. of the descriptive word that I would use than like, like there isn't like, oh my God, like, you know, a fucking, right. what people equate that to horror films these days is like these like cheap, you know, jump scares. There's definitely not too much of that in the film but there's like a creepiness which i appreciate a lot more than the jump scares mm -hmm. yeah, it, it ages like it, it actually it stays well over time those those types of things i wanted to say the music uh the music is by john five and griffin voice john five is a member of, of rob zombie's band of course um really interesting uh music that was chosen as like the the music that, you know, uh, that the group The Lords plays, this very creepy, droning, you know, off-putting music, which I actually thought was very effective. And I feel like if I heard that music, it might make me a little nutty. Like, I don't know, right? Like, it seemed very, like, uh, just, I don't know. I thought it was used very, to like, you know, effectively. You know? Yeah, well, well, to give a little context for this music, the, the, whole, the whole plot really revolves around... Um, like a curse that was placed mm -hmm. on the women of the descendants of John Hawthorne, who um, was the inquisitor during, mm -hmm. uh, during the witch trials in Salem. And um, it turns out that Sherry Moon's character is a descendant of John Hawthorne. Yes. You know, and she, of course she has a, you know, a, a stage name, Heidi LaRock. Right. Uh, so it becomes, it's, it's revealed in the film that she's actually a Hawthorne. Heidi Hawthorne, yes. Yeah. So she receives this like pretty sick looking uh, <laughs> package <Mail>. in the mail. <laughs> it's like it looks like something that like you know uh, like Southern Lord would put out, like a like a yes, sun a sun mm -hmm. record on Southern Lord, you know, with like a box and 
you know, this like ex- ex- really cool packaging and stuff like that. And the Lord's record is in there. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you see that when she plays it, she kind of snaps into this trance. Mm-hmm. And, and that's this mood, this, uh, this music is like awakening the curse. It's like manifesting the curse that the, the witch has put on her. Right. You know, so. Um, and it's funny, uh, ahead of the vinyl curve, Rob Zombie, uh, he uses a, uh, an LP back in 2013 as the centerpiece. And it was kind of a bit ahead of the vinyl craze that was impending and around the corner. Right, Mike? That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it does. I did get the same kind of vibes as you from it. Um, and, uh, you know, another major part of the movie is Heidi's Landlord. Uh, played by actress Judy uh, Geeson. Um, of course, she's a witch. And her two friends, played by Sonny, uh, legendary actress Dee Wallace, and Megan, uh, Patricia Quinn, you know, they're, they're like the witch coven, and, and they're getting Heidi to come and have some wine and hang out with them one night and drink with them. Megan's a palm reader and tells Heidi that she's fated to succumb to her darkest, you know, sexual desires which are the only reason you exist you know like some that's some stuff you want to hear at a party when you're hanging out with women you know that you've never met before <laughs> yeah uh so you know she, she leaves the party and uh that's when she you know starts seeing like these you know apparitions and near the empty apartment in the building which is apartment five uh and she sees a uh, you know this nude witch demon uh, you know, all the fucked up shit starts happening, basically, once the record has been played and once she has had that kind of uh, powwow with the the ladies in the building. And, you know, um, it, it's worth noting that uh, she plays uh, a woman who's like a former heroin addict. Right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. That that pops its ugly head up uh, down the line when she mm-hmm. starts descending and succumbing to this curse that they place that's been placed on her, you know, from back on her on her, her bloodline, basically. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I just wanted to mention about uh, just the history uh, of the Salem witch trials is that uh, no witches were actually burned in the United States. That was all in Europe. I got written down. Not a single witch was burned in America. <laughs> yeah. But John Jonathan John Hawthorne is as an actual historical figure, and he wasn't. Hmm. He was someone who stood judgment over. The, the women and there was actually some men who were who were um executed huh. as yeah. witches yeah uh, weren't they uh all the salem witches it was all hanging as then there was one who was like crushed or something yeah crushed like, with rocks <laughs> yeah yes there was no burnings in america not a single one yeah which and- was rather nice which was rather nice of the powers that be <laughs> yeah all, all the all the witch burning happened in europe just uh yeah FYI. it was the european thing Exactly. Um, there, did you notice um, in, in in the scene where they're playing the music uh, on the radio station, and they're showing the reaction of a bunch of the women throughout Salem that one of the women was Barbara Crampton? I noticed that because I um, I love Barbara Crampton, and I yeah, I, 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 I could pick her out anywhere, man. Oh yeah, I love her. You know, she's a doll. Talk about someone who literally does not age as well. Uh, I don't know how she does it either. She just looks amazing 
for the last 35 years. I was just going to say that, man. Like there's that, that documentary that's on shutter right now. It's like a two part, I think all in all, it's like 12 hours long. It's um, in search of, yeah, in search of, new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in search of darkness. And Barbara Crampton's all over both episodes of that, or both, you know, both of those parts. And I'm like, she looks like like there's porcelain skin and just yeah. no ring. I mean, I'm sure there's like some, you know, technology mm-hmm. involved in that. You know what I mean? But it mm-hmm. still looks fucking beautiful, man. Oh yeah. Uh, I met her at a con and she was as nice as could be. Um, like she's, there are certain people, even though I've met them once, like I will go back and meet them again to get like a different eight by 10 from them. That's how nice they were, you know? And she's on that like short list. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Harris is another one on that short list. Like she's just so cool. And she makes everybody who goes to see her, like feel like they're, you know what I'm saying? Like a friend, like that kind of vibe. That's awesome. And uh, Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's another one. She's great. She's so cool to meet in person. She's a uh, New Yorker, I think, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. New York or Jersey, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's really cool to meet these people sometimes in person. And they give off this really great, friendly vibe. And, and I have to say, Barbara Crampton is definitely one of those people. As a little side note. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, and I think apparently, dude, Lisa Marie, uh, what he called, is in this movie. The one who played uh, Vampira in in Ed Wood. Hmm, okay. She plays Priscilla. I think she is also one of the women in that panning scene of all the townswomen uh, who are falling under the curse, kind of. Yeah. But wasn't able to figure out who the fuck she was. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That's the other one. The one thing is they didn't really flesh out that aspect of the of the you know that they showed that for a reason. Like when they broadcast the movie. I mean I'm sorry, the movie. They broadcast the music on the radio station. Mm -hmm. You know, and and the thing that we were talking about is like there's they show all these random women throughout Salem reacting to it. Mm -hmm. But they don't really go anywhere with that like i want i was expecting more of a more out of that you know what i mean okay i agree i agree i agree yeah um i thought uh the special effects were quite good and apparently there are zero digital effects in this movie how about that yeah it all looks in camera that's for sure yeah Mm -hmm. um i don't know how i felt about that little piggy character I, that's the word i'm using i don't know that that like that like it wasn't a bit it just it had like a weird look to it that that little creature you know what i'm talking Towards about at the end right you're talking about yeah yeah i don't know that's i i thought that that could have been a little different or uh, you know what i'm saying i mean that was i thought all the witches looked awesome and all those scenes of like witchery and sacrifice and all that kind of shit looked great and like the haggard bodies and I thought all that was awesome, but I did not like that that one little demonic creature too much. I don't know. That was my little note. Yeah, I I could have done with it with a better creature, really. You know. Yeah. Um did you think like what did you think of of the like the ancillary characters and like the overall performances? I think well Bruce Davidson is actually, to my opinion, he's like a co-star of the movie. Uh, I think he's probably 
the best male, you know, character, best male actor in the movie, the guy who plays Francis Matthias, who wrote the book, uh, The Salem Witch Trials, uh, in this movie. What did you think of him? Well, I think definitely, well, I, I think he's an awesome actor anyway. I mean, he's been in Willard, you know, mm -hmm. Mother Jugs and Speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Short, Short Eyes. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. <laughs> Oh, um, I've always wanted to see that. It's it's definitely worth seeing, man. Um, but he he's actually pretty crucial to the narrative. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, the element that he plays, like, his part in this whole thing is, like, the guy who pushes the storyline forward. Like, he is the uh, linchpin as to, like, all the description of what's going on. Because he wrote this mm -hmm. book. He goes to, wiz to visit the, uh, you know, the witches. They tell him what's going on. You know, and you know, ultimately he meets a, a you know a very you know brutal ending. But yeah, I was bummed when he died. Yeah. Like I actually felt bad because I really liked him. It's funny. It, it he it there's a bit of a thread to to the devil a daughter here with the guy who writes the book who's the good guy trying to you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah. the guy who writes the book on the occult how about that mike well know. well it definitely and that's what you know I was I was like alluding to that earlier when I said that it's like an italian horror film crossed with movies like the devil's reign you know cuz mm -hmm. there's like that you know there's a curse there's like going back to like uh you know early america um and definitely to the devil a daughter cuz you have a a, a writer who is mm -hmm. like the good guy, as you were saying, you know, and, right. and he's sort of uncovering everything too. Like he's revealing, right. like all of the fat, all of the historical information in the background is revealed through, through, uh, Matthias, Matthias, Francis Matthias. Uh, another one of the absolute strongest characters in this movie is Meg Foster as Margaret Morgan. Jesus Christ. She's frightening. Yeah. Very scary. Very scary. <laughs> And it's funny, not too long ago, I was wondering what the hell ever happened to Maria Conchita Alonso. Ah, yeah, she's in this movie as well as uh, the, the wife, huh? Yeah, Alice. She, it's funny, I at one point, I don't, like, since I, I had only really seen the movie once, right? For some reason, I thought she was going to kill her husband. Yeah, she's got that wild Latin look about her. That's why, you know what I mean? No, like she looks only like only because of the whole music thing. That's why I can see I, that the music thing. Yeah, the connection to the Lord's music, and I felt like at some point she was just gonna like put a knife in him. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just like weird. I got a weird vibe from her in this movie, and that is not at all what happened. Um, but yeah, Meg Foster is you know for the really like striking blue eyes she plays holly and john carpenter's they live um she you know she's been in a bunch of stuff she did a lot of tv in the 70s a lot of movies in the 70s um she you know she apparently uh she was on cagney and lacy for uh six episodes of the first season before being replaced by sharon gless i did not know that huh Hmm. I didn't know that either. I never knew that. Yeah, that was a, a show in the early, early 80s, kids. That I was a kid when that was on, uh, you know, so I did not know she was on that show. Interesting. Um, but yeah, she's creepy as hell as one of the witches in this movie. Um, I thought the witch scenes were very effective. 
Uh, you know more about the witchy stuff than I do. Uh, is there anything you could say about that angle as far as authenticity or, or you know, that angle at all? Well, the one the one issue I have with it is is like, um, okay, well, witchcraft isn't necessarily in and of itself a satanic. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that portraying them as like satanic witches is more of the uh, the puritanical reflection mm -hmm. of what they actually were. You know, because like, you know, the reality is these women probably weren't even really practicing any kind of witchcraft. You know, no, and nope. and. Uh, so that's like a license that they took. Um, if they, if if it was going to be like a, you know, sort of factual based, whether or not you actually believe in witchcraft or not, but the type of practice of it wouldn't necessarily be satanic. It would be based in some kind of more pagan style, I think, as opposed to straight up worshiping Satan. You know, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it was pretty effective. It was good. It was good for the movie. You know, I mean, like um, I, I chose to look at it as these witches were what the Puritans thought witches would be, you know, worshiping right. Satan, dancing naked, you know, like mm -hmm. sacrifices, sacrificing, like all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's I, it's I guess what I'll call it's the Hollywood horror movie version. Right. It's, you know, yeah. autistic. It's, yeah yeah like a black magic version of of witchcraft you know what i mean mm -hmm. and uh yeah so that's that's all i gotta say about it really cool um i mean the movie culminates in what is a you know the lords are, are coming to town this band who plays this really creepy weird music is coming to town and the radio station is giving away tickets to it and, and they make it to this theater i, I thought it was really interesting that like it seemed like there was like five people at the show. <laughs> like when they opened the doors, there's only like maybe 10 people sitting in. It's like this big theater where this band is supposed to play. And I, don't know, I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, oh man, this band didn't draw anybody. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, it has a very uh, dramatic, creepy and trippy ending, right? Very, very... Uh... Dario Argento, specifically Suspiria-esque, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. With a little bit of an acid trip to it, uh, as, right? Like it's it's not it's not straight Argento rip or anything. It's got a very it's got it has a zombie touch. It has a Rob Zombie touch to it, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. His own thing, for sure. Um and I I thought like towards the very end, you know, we're kind of giving the movie away. Um you know, she gives birth to that strange creature that I talked about. Uh, you know, looks like a crawfish uh, atop corpses of naked audience members. Um, and I, I kind of like that that stark ending where, like, the, the radio station and the TV station whatever reports on, like, the mass suicide at the rock concert and the disappearance of, of Heidi Hawthorne. And I like the kind of title card sequence. It had, like, this... You know, it, it had a little bit of like a late seventies, early eighties throwbackish kind of ending. Did you think? Yeah, I mean that's that's great. I thought if you yeah. if you want to reference all that shit, that's awesome, man. You know, it's like I, I just I think it's really interesting that it wasn't like it, there was no real nostalgia because it didn't play place in the seventies. Took place in modern times. You know what I mean? Mm. I just thought it was yeah. cool to like reference 
the the actual construction of that scene as opposed to setting it in the 70s and having all the the tropes and all that kind of bullshit you know what i mean yeah and i i gotta tell you i i feel like hopefully some of the, the listeners will will give it a second viewing or even a first viewing and come away feeling the way we have because this movie is unfairly panned unfairly panned it is a really good movie with good performances um it has little moments of goofiness i think at the radio station which whatever has some comedy um that little tiny subplot of the german black metal band and eh, that was a little stupid what'd you think yeah, you know, I would, I, I uh, could have did without that because uh, also yeah. I felt, I felt like they were like making fun of black metal a little bit, you know. Yes, I think that's exactly what I thought it was there for. Isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah, and then I got defensive, and I'm like, who the fuck is Rob Zombie <laughs> to make fun of like black metal? Like his band is like the fucking corniest thing I've ever Rob heard. Minute. You know. For a hot minute, I felt that way, and then I was like, ah, eh, whatever, I don't care. It's, it's a little portion of the film. I mean. Rob Zombie is going to take the piss on black metal. I mean, but anyway, go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to say, though, man, I as far as what to, to give this number out of our, our one to five, I am giving this an extremely strong four. That's what I'm giving this film. A, a four with a bullet because it is it is really good. It is worth seeing. It is worth seeing again. And it has been unfairly panned. And I think if it was released today, it would have not have fared uh, the fate that it met back in 2013. I'm going to give it a 4.5, man. I got that written down right here. 4.5. I, and I, I, you know, I, I can't find anything wrong with the movie, man. I really enjoyed it. It's got great atmosphere. The acting's cool. I enjoy all the char- all the characters. I thought were great. All the actors, because you know, and and you know, Rob Zombie it has like a, kind of a uh, you know a uh, Quentin Tarantino thing where he digs up all these old character actors and puts them in the films, and I I appreciate that, you know. And um, the music was cool. Um, I'm probably gonna gonna find a physical copy of this and get it. Yeah. Um... And for everybody uh, who, who likes uh, horror soundtracks on vinyl, uh, the very first ever vinyl version of this soundtrack is coming from Waxwork Records. Uh, it's available now on their website. I, I, I snagged a copy. Uh, Waxwork has done uh, Three from Hell, Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses. All three of those are gone and worth a, a ton of dough. So I imagine this one at some point is going to sell out as well. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to having this one, uh, on, on vinyl because the music is really cool. Cause it's a mix of, uh, the, the music that John five created plus the, you know, like the rush track is in there. Like any of the other music that was in the movie is on the soundtrack as well. So I always think that's like an added bonus. There's also a $300 deluxe version of it that comes in a wooden box. <laughs> yeah, Mike, that's sold out in apparently uh, a minute. They only made, I think, uh, literally less than a hundred of those. Those sold out immediately, like apparently. Wow, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I'm kind of not surprised actually. You know what I mean? It's like oh. that—that's like the kind of thing at hardcore. Like, I mean, especially in the world of film score record collectors. 
Mm-hmm. That's like an even more extreme geek geekdom, I think, in record collecting is people who collect film scores. Mm. It's like an even yeah. more like, you know, real, real hardcore like like fandom, I think, you know. Um, a, a personal holy grail for me for horror vinyl would be to get a goddamn Shining uh, LP on vinyl because get this. It has never been repressed ever since its initial release on vinyl uh, because there's a bunch of rights issues with a, a bunch of the music on it. And uh, yeah, it's, it goes for like a rough copy is about, about 200 and change for like a, just like a, a copy that, you know, uh, like not even like a very good copy, you know, or more. I've seen it go for almost four hundred dollars for like a mint copy, um, but uh, it's funny. There's definitely, like I said, some some of the the Kubrickisms there. And uh, I, when I was doing a little more research on what the reviews this movie got when it was released, um, RogerEbert.com. You know, Roger Ebert died, but his website still lives on and has you know solid people uh, writing for it. They gave this movie three stars. Really? They, they liked it. Yeah, they thought it was scary and had an overwhelming sense of dread to it. And they actually had a lot of nice things to say about this movie, which was kind of surprising. You know, I feel like most people like Rob Zombie. Like, I feel like I, I, I was in the minority of people who did not like his work. You know what I mean? Because mm. I know that I talk to, aside from a handful of people that don't like him, I find like most people that I speak to about his films like him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of people dig Devil's Rejects. Uh, that I have learned. Um, right. You know, I really like that movie. It's it's just pushes all the right buttons for me. I love the soundtrack. I like the performances. Um, you know, uh, I think it was released in a, in a time that I have like a early two thousands nostalgia for. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. You know, two thousand three. Um, but I always thought that he was never able to live up to it again. But having, you know, uh, having the podcast and rewatching a, a lot of his movies, you know, I, I really greatly have enjoyed, you know, the, the, the new viewings of Halloween one and two. And now uh, with Lords of Salem, it's just like, wow, man, you know, it's such a shame that like 31 and three from hell were, were the movies they were, because I don't know, I, I think sometimes it does just boil down to, to finances and how much care you put into the, the script and story. Cause this had something to do with Blumhouse, like the production company. It was that well, haunted, haunted movies. Um, my Blu-ray is anchor Bay and it says it anchor Bay production anchor Bay stars. Um, I'm not sure how much of a hand in the overall movie they had, but uh, on the producer docket here, it's uh, yeah Jason Bloom and Andy Gould, his longtime business manager. So Andy Gould had a had a hand in this. He's he's been on his team since forever with the you know the music days. Uh, I guess this is an early Bloom, uh, you know, output. I would say right. Yeah, and Oren Pelly, the Paranormal Activity guy, was involved in the as a producer okay. on this. So I mean, so there was like a little bit of that thing going on with this too you know yeah again i just feel like it was a little too soon for this fucking movie what you know i i I wish that this is the type of films he made 
you know, like these like moody mm. slow burns. I think I would like to see more of that, you know. Me too. But you know, apparently up next for him is the uh, the Monsters um, TV show, uh, which is going to be on a streaming service. Apparently, um, they haven't said which one. I mean, it's it's in early early days or whatever. But you know, he's always been into that. So I mean, maybe maybe that'll be great. Who the fuck knows, right? Yeah, I mean. You know, judging from his last few few things, I haven't. I don't know. Like, Thirty one was great because of uh, what the, the that fucking guy in it, the Doomhead guy, whatever that dude's name is. Uh, Richard Brake. Richard, Richard Brake. Brake. Yeah, he. They should. He should make a movie about him, about that character. Yeah, that's got to be coming. It's. I. Th- I don't think. I, I think that will happen. I really do. I think that will happen. I just. It just might not be on his priority list, Man. or. Hey, how about Werewolf Women of the SS as a film? Wouldn't that be something? Anything with werewolves in it. Is, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm there, you know. And, the fake trailer for Grindhouse. That was yep. so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'm coming around, man. And I'm, I'm definitely going to get a um, get a physical copy. I'm going to watch the the extras on it, you know. and and Because um, I, I watched the, you know, this this popped up on Prime. And cool. I... Um, I was I wanted I was gonna rewatch it anyway before you and I even discussed talking about it, you know, and so mm-hmm. so I was able to you know see it without paying any extra money. That, that's always good. Yeah, and hey, we're continuing our streak of Rob Zombie mentions. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, anyone out there who wants to listen to all of our episodes and come up with a account of how many Rob Zombie references we have. Please send. A, let us know. I, you, you can get. You'll get a free T-shirt if we if we make yeah. more shirts. Eventually, we'll make more shirts. Oh, yeah. Get a free shirt. By the way, we have a limited amount of shirts left, and I have a feeling some people are listening, going, "What shirts?" <laughs> um, there's only a couple of different sizes left. They were kind of a one-shot deal. There are these cool black shirts with the awesome Necromaniacs logo emblazoned on the front. They are for a very nice price. So uh, go to everythingwentblack.com and grab a shirt while you can because, uh, yeah, they were kind of a one-shot deal. Yeah, it's, you know, we, we got, we're, we're going to get our shit together, man. We're going we're gonna to start doing <laughs> more stuff, man. Like, uh, and that's everythingwentblackmedia.com. That's the, I'm sorry, the everythingwentblackmedia.com. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the landing page for all this tomfoolery that we do here. And, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it'd be cool to. I, I want to get you know now that we're we're you know putting out shows regularly, we're on schedule. Like you know, people are seem to be enjoying it, and uh, you know we're interacting with people a lot. I think mm-hmm. that uh, another round of cool merchandise is probably in order. I think you're right, and uh, yeah, I it would be it would be cool like to to you know we get rid of these remaining pieces that we have left, and then a bunch of people go. What the hell? Shirts? I never knew you had shirts. I was funny thing. Someone, someone's going to be saying that anytime now. But um, <laughs> we quietly made them. We made them quietly. We also made them a long time ago, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we made them a long time ago. And they were made rather quietly. Yeah. Uh, so long ago, I'm not even sure exactly when we made them. So <laughs> It was a minute, definitely, ago, man, for sure. It was a minute. But uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun, Mike. Um, 
we uh, we've got some cool stuff planned for the for for the summer ahead. Some interesting topics and interesting movies, uh, more kind of themed stuff, you know. Uh, but if there's something you want us to tackle in particular, just please let us know via Instagram or Facebook, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely consider it. I think we are going to do the uh, the late anniversary episode where we discuss uh, the family film, a Serbian film. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's I, I think that's a great idea, man. And I think that, you know, some time has, has passed and uh, you and I are definitely more eloquent speakers now than we were when we did that very first episode years ago. I and, think so. Yeah, and, and like we've also had time to like read because I think when you and I saw that movie, no one had really even knew what the fuck the movie was, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was, to this day, I almost feel like the, the guy who picks the movies that there had to have been just wanting to fuck with people because I cannot believe it played in Bay Ridge for a week back in, you know, uh, all those years ago. Um it's fairly much, you know, fairly a family theater for the most part, for God's sake. Uh, that doesn't even get tons of horror, but it, it got that movie, which is just a, a, a mind fuck in itself. But, um, you know, sometimes really disgusting, disturbing movies uh, bring forth some positive things like Necromaniacs podcast. Yeah, the whole we should when we when we do that episode, we need to like do talk about that day that night when we saw that yeah, at the, yeah. it was the alpine right that's the theater it was uh yeah the alpine and bay ridge which is which is going to open when things get back to normal apparently uh you know they were able to secure their nice. their rent and everything so they're not closed down which is really great to hear um and i'm wondering what level my brooklyn accent was back then it was probably at a level uh level 11 or 12 where <laughs> now probably at like an eight you know or nine uh yeah probably pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> that's that was pretty funny yeah it should be good to revisit that I know. but yeah man that's uh i'm looking forward to doing that and um you know it's gonna be a lot of fun cool so yeah we will see you all next time thank you again for this continued support hello to the new listeners and thank you for all the longtime listeners Thanks, guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Cheers.
Stinking breath, smelling of death and 